Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hello and welcome back to the Birth Launch Podcast. You guys, this is actually a part two. So if you haven't listened to last week's podcast, go back and listen to that. I have on CPM certified professional midwife, Melissa Chapel, and she is talking to us all about cervical checks, finding the right provider. And where we left off last week was early pushing urge. How do you know when you're ready to push? How do you take advantage of that fetal ejection reflex? So Melissa, maybe a false sense of when it's time to push versus the reflex taking over. One of the things that I teach or Tranquility by Hee our whole team teaches clients to be on the lookout for in labor. And you're going to fill this with an epidural as well. You guys don't be afraid to turn down your epidural. We need you to be having feeling down there. It's not going to come back in an overwhelming, painful sense. And if it does, you can turn it right back up. You are allowed to have authority over the medications that are administered to you. But one of the things that we teach you is it shouldn't be intermittent pressure. We are looking for constant pressure, like rectal pressure, constant vaginal pressure. As that pressure is kind of like building up, it can bounce back and forth. You're like at first like, oh, I feel it in my butt. I feel like I'm, I might be pooping or like I, I got to poop. And then you're like, oh, wait. No, it's in my vagina. Okay, it's back in my butt. And it bounces back and forth. And then your baby will be so low that it'll be constant. Melissa, do you find that in your practice? And then also, how do we know that it's not the intermittent versus, okay, now it's time for me to really push? Yeah, such good questions. Such good questions. So I think like you said at the beginning, or I maybe it was last week, but you said, if you're feeling like, you know, you're having a conversation about it. It's not time, you know, because you won't be able to have a conversation about it. You'll feel this like overwhelming urge. I love what you said about turning the epidural down. I'm such a big fan of that. It's, it's scary to people because they think, oh, wait a minute. Now I'm going to have to have this, this pain, but it's different, right? It's, it's very, very, very different. And it's so helpful to be able to feel when you're supposed to push. So people will have pressure, right? Epidurals don't take away pressure, but they, which is actually great for pushing. That's really, really good. But let's see. So I had kind of the way I think as midwives, and there's, there was actually a study done on this, that midwives can hear where their clients are in labor, that they like played 
sounds of women in labor from midwives and midwives were able to say she's six centimeters. She's eight centimeters. She's about to push baby out. She's in early labor. And while that doesn't always hold true for us, like sometimes I really think someone's about to push a baby out and they're, you know, five centimeters, you know? So it doesn't always hold true because people cope in different ways and people make different noises, but it's actually quite common to have people make a kind of a, they have like an upward trajectory of noises that they make as they're getting closer and closer to labor. So, I mean, to pushing. So when you have somebody who is having an urge to push, but she's not telling you that she has an urge to push, or she's just kind of making that sound, or maybe you say, Oh, did you feel a little bit like pushing on that last one? She might say, yeah, just a little bit at the peak. And I think that's kind of what you were talking about is that intermittent feeling, you know, where you don't feel it like for the whole contraction, your body's not like overwhelmingly taking you over, you know? So usually what you have to do is just wait. The body's ramping up. The body's getting ready. That last little bit of the cervix is melting away. And then you get to a point where people just are, you know, and they're making that really loud pushing downward, that overwhelming urge to push is what I call it. And so a lot of times in lieu of checking them, I will say, instead I'll say, okay, I want you to really listen to your body here. What is your body telling you to do? If you are not feeling an overwhelming urge to push, don't push. Listen to what your body's saying. Because I think a lot of people think, oh, the second I feel the urge to push, I'm supposed to start pushing because that's what all the books told me. And that's what the childbirth education classes told me. And so I think if you can remind people of that, like, don't do what they told you. It's great to get prepared. You need to be prepared. You need to take classes because we've lost these cultures of, you know, women groups who like get together and tell each other what to expect and how it's going to go. You know, we've lost it. So we need childbirth classes. I tell all of my clients that people who do the very best in birth are those who read tons of books, hire a doula, take childbirth classes, right. And pick a good provider. But in that moment, maybe you've seen on TV or maybe you learned in your class that like you're, if, when you feel that urge to push, you're supposed to push, but that's not the case. You're supposed to wait until it's so overwhelming that even if I told you not to push you, it wouldn't matter. You'd have to do it anyway. So just to kind of go back to your question, like, how do you discern between the two? Like you said, the first, the urge to push, that's not really, really there. You know, people are feeling it at the peak of the contraction but they don't usually feel it for the whole contraction. And then usually when the contraction's over, even if people feel an overwhelming urge to push, they will usually feel intense pressure. They'll feel rectal pressure, but they'll get a break, you know? And then that contraction will start again and they'll be like, whoa, I've got this overwhelming urge to push. I've had people tell me before, like, oh, just so you know, I don't ever get the urge to push. And what I want to say back to them is just so you know, you weren't given the opportunity (laughs) to get to the point where you had the urge to push. Some people will get all the way to 10 centimeters and they'll be told to push because if you don't push your baby's never going to come out well what would happen if she was like under a tree in the woods eventually her body's going to tell her to push that baby out you know so i i think that sometimes people can be fully dilated 10 centimeters and their bodies are still aligning and we don't know what's happening we don't know i mean we kind of know like science kind of kind of tells us like what's happening with the hormonal shifts but there are a million things that we'll never know that we don't know that could be happening emotionally and mentally and spiritually that have nothing to do with what's going on physically. And maybe that person needs all those things to align before she's ready to really push. So I just tell people, Hey, if you don't feel the urge, like rest, we call it the rest and be thankful stage. Right. And a rest lot of providers, a lot of, yeah, I love it. a lot of the hospital providers don't know about the rest and be thankful stage. 
And a lot of times I'll have people that are just having these insane contractions mm-hmm. and they're just like very powerful, very, very powerful. You know, they're in transition and then they kind of slow down. Mm-hmm. And I look at my apprentices and I say, I think we're in the rest and be thankful stage. And then the next contractions that start are like, you hear the mom start going at the top and then it just gets yeah. more and more and more powerful. So I don't know. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. out over this. It was so good. Okay. So I do want to talk about <clears throat> the scenario that, you know, we all don't want to believe that happens, but it, it does. Absolutely. And I talk about this on Instagram a lot and you can scan the comments and you can see that a significant number of people experience being told don't push the doctor's not here yet. You can't have your baby. And you know, they, a a large number of the people are like, I can't stop. I just told them like, you better get ready. And personally, that's my response as well. Like you're a nurse, you better get ready. You work on it. Yeah. yeah, Catch this baby. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I also encourage parents that if your baby is coming so fast, reach down and catch your own baby. Like what a special moment for the universe to have kind of a line where they were like, look, yeah, we'll need a doctor do it. Yeah. But what do you say? Like how, you know, it is, I do want to hold space with like, that is abusive. It is coercive care. We don't want you holding in your baby and heaven forbid, we do not want a nurse holding in your baby physically. Like it, it causes just so much trauma physically, emotionally, mentally, it can hurt your baby. So make sure that yeah. we don't have that. But in the case that we have a nurse saying like, no, 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 don't push. The doctor's not here yet. Talk us through how you would navigate that as maybe that birthing person. I mean, at the, as a newer doula, I probably would have been like, yeah, just good job. <laughs> but now I'd be like, you push that yeah. damn baby out. You do what you want, you know? <laughs> listen um, to your body. It really comes back to like listening to your body and honoring what those sensations are telling you to do. And that's movement too. So even if they're like, no, 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 you can't get on hands and knees. And if your body is telling you that you need to, and you can you should, you guys, you need to listen to those urges. Yeah. So I think you, do you remember the, the story? I mean, you probably, you're probably alluding to that generally when you talked about how it can be so damaging, but there was a story about a woman who was made to keep her baby in and they actually held her legs closed and she had severe nerve damage and her baby had issues as well. And she sued the hospital and got millions of dollars because what happened to her was not okay. Right. Yeah. Like, in Alabama. Uh, yeah you, yes. It, yes. You, you know, the story. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So it's not okay. It's not okay for somebody to do that. That's absolute. It's absolutely abusive care. It's not okay. So that you nurses, the re so let's give some credit to nurses and say that I have seen doctors make nurses cry. Like doctors are right. Like nurses bear the brunt of the work in labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. They are worked overworked. They're Mm -hmm. screamed at, yelled at, not just by patients, but by their own people that they're supporting, like they're like the doctors that they work with, but (laughs) let's go back to this. Who's hiring who you've hired these people to take care of you. You've hired these people to make sure that you're safe. You've hired these people to make sure that your baby's safe, you know, to really, really support you and care for you. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if you have the urge to push, push it, this is what I always tell to people. Like I have a lot of people in my client, in my practice that are like the dads are get so nervous. Like what if the baby comes out and you're not here? What if we're driving in the car and the baby comes out? And this is what I always say. If the, it's the baby's, 
that don't come out that are the ones we worry about. Yeah. If the babies that fly out, I'm not worried about those babies. Everything's going right. That's why it's so sad. (laughs) They fly out. They're fine. They've got like all this pressure and stuff happening and they're, they're not stuck in the birth canal for super long time. And their labors obviously went so fast that they're, they're flying out. And so they haven't been like had those like long, long, long contractions and been subjected to like a long, long, long labor. Like they do great. So if this baby's going to fly out, I mean, I've had clients come to me and say, hi, last baby. I went in, they didn't believe me. The baby came out. My husband caught it. Like I was in the hospital bed. Like, you know, it did anything bad happen. No, nothing bad happened. Babies come out. They come out, right. They're supposed to come out. So if it happens that fast and they can't get the doctor there, oh, well, too bad. These nurses are amazing at catching babies. They do it all the time. But the reason that they freak out is because they get in trouble. They get really, really, really destroyed if they catch a baby. Mm -hmm. I mean, like abused. I've heard of many nurses getting just raked over the coals because they caught a baby and didn't make the mom wait. So they're kind of caught between this like, okay, like I really want to support this woman because I care about, that's why I went into nursing in the first place because I want to care for people, right? So They want to support this mom and this baby. They want to help her and support her by catching her baby for her. But then they also know that if they do that, they're probably going to get in trouble. So, but yeah, but just go, go back to what, I mean, like if, if you're there and she pushes her baby out and the doctor comes in, you, you can So I do a lot of modeling in my doula work, or like I have to go to hospital birth still as a midwife and I turn into the doula. So I still do doula work a lot if I have like a hospital transfer, but I do a lot of stuff. Like, let's say it was nurse Jones. Okay. I would say that, let's say the doctor shows up, the baby's out and the doctor's like maybe starting to, you know, be mean to her and the mom or something. I would say, wow, nurse Jones, you did such a good job. That was so fast. Like none of us could have foreseen that. Right. I'm so glad you were here to, to keep the mom and the baby safe. And so I'll do a lot of that in earshot of the doctor, you know, so that the doctor can understand that like, no, this, like this nurse did us is serving us, you know, like she's helping us or or he or she. And I do that with the clients too. This is just like another side note, (laughs) but I'll say, you know, I'll say like, I was at a hospital birth the other day and this student doctor came in and she's like a family practice student doctor. So hadn't really done birth very much, but I didn't know that. I thought she was like an OB resident. (laughs) And so, so, so I said, I don't remember what her name was. Let's just say it was like, Dr. Smith or something. I said, I said, Dr. Smith, are you so amazed by her? Isn't she doing such a good job? I'm just mind blown by how good that this mama is doing. And she kind of looked at me and she was like, I, she like, didn't answer. And so I was like, kind of upset her. I'm like, come on, throw us a bone. Like, I said perfectly for that. Like all you had to be, was like, yeah, this is wonderful. I know I set it up. I know. But then I learned later that she was just like, sort of shy and terrified because this was like one of the first births she'd ever been to. So she didn't know. I mean, you know, so, so, but anyway, that's a, that's one way that I think can be really helpful for doulas and even partners, you know, like, and say like, but even, even a mom, honestly, like some of your people who are taking your class could be like, Dr. Smith, I'm doing a damn good job, aren't I? (laughs) And and then Dr. Smith, what is Dr. Smith going to say? He better say, yes, you are. You are doing or he's fired. I have had clients do that. I've had clients oh, say, you're not working for me. I get me a different doctor. Yeah. hundred percent. 
Yeah, it makes a big difference. If you're clashing with your nurse or your provider, ask for a new one because getting someone in there that you feel safe with and respected by and support Yeah, and by, people don't know that. Yeah. 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 Oh, people, yeah. People don't know that that's an option and it totally is an option. So, yeah. 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 Did I answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. So I do want to talk about something that you've kind of dropped along the way. It's like practice pushing. So let me tell you just anecdotally what our team has seen. And I I will tell you that these are all hospital births. They've not been at any home births. And the clients that we've seen this happen also all had an epidural. Makes sense why we haven't seen it at a home birth, right? But Swollen cervix because we push too early. So now that we've kind of defined what it feels like to have that intermittent rectal vaginal pressure and knowing like, oh, I'm getting there, but I'm not quite ready to push. And that overwhelming sense of like, okay, now I'm here. I'm ready to push. What about when we don't have that sense of pushing, but your providers are maybe pressuring you to push, but we push for actually a couple hours and then you end up with a swollen cervix. Talk us through what's in your head. How could we avoid this? What were some things that we could have considered? Because we have seen this situation actually a couple times and I think people don't know about it and I think you should. And I also would love for our team to be able to maybe avoid this for some of our clients. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying that, so people have an epidural and they're, they're checked and their cervix is not all the way dilated. No, they're all the way they're 10. And the doctors say like, yeah, your baby is low. You're 10 centimeters. We should start pushing. And these people are like, okay, I mean, I feel pressure down there, but I'm not feeling like a ton of pressure. So we are pushing too early. That's one thing is we haven't waited for that fetal ejection reflex to be activated, but After we've pushed for like two hours, let's say we get a check and the doctor comes back and is like, oh, I'm so sorry to tell you, but like your service is actually swollen. And now you're, you're more like a six and a half or seven. Oh my God. A lot of times in the hospital, that will deem you as a C-section, right? Yeah. So, okay. This is going to be an interesting answer. So I actually have seen cervixes go, go backwards before, like sometimes we'll break water. We hardly do that unless somebody's requested or unless there's like a reason why we need to move things forward. And so a lot of times you'll have that like water bag pressure on the cervix and then it'll be like nine centimeters. And you're like, oh, great. We just need to move that baby down. And it does happen where sometimes, where sometimes we do that and the baby just comes out tired and we're trying to help to prevent maternal exhaustion and having to go get an epidural at the hospital. So, but sometimes we'll break it and that, that pressure of the water bag is like pushing, 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 giving really good pressure on the cervix. You break the water bag. And the baby has it. Yeah. And so the cervix will just go and it'll kind of come back. So I see that sometimes happen. And then I also see sometimes where, where people get scared and their cervixes go backwards. But I have to tell you in that case that you're talking about, I don't think I've ever, 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 ever. And remember I've been to nearly a thousand births. I don't think I've ever seen a cervix that was really, truly 10 centimeters. And then it went backwards. So here's something I'll tell you about a nappy. So like, here's the cervix. Here's mm-hmm. the baby's head, right? Mm-hmm. So, too bad I don't have a baby. With me. No. <laughs> when, when we say a cervix is 10 centimeters dilated, it's not like, oh, look, the cervix is 10 centimeters right now. Wh- when we say a cervix is 10 centimeters is when we can no longer feel the cervix. So the baby's head has gone past it. So the only time that you would really, that you would feel nothing and a cervix would, would go back is if somebody got the check wrong. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what can sometimes happen is you can have a baby there 
I mean, so like, let's say you have like a four or five centimeters, six centimeters cervix, right? So that cervix could go to seven centimeters and then, and then maybe the, you know, it, for whatever reason, different change of position or fear, the cervix could go a little bit more closed. I've seen that happen quite a bit, especially in hospital transfers, because people get really nervous and scared, right? But once that baby's descended low enough that that cervix is all the way behind its head to the point where when I'm a provider and I'm doing a check, I feel all around, I feel nothing, nothing at all, right? Nothing. The only way that that cervix could come back in front of that baby's head and swell is if it wasn't dilated in the first place and mm. the provider just didn't feel that there was still cervix left or if the baby somehow went up, went back up, which could happen if there was like some kind of cord issue or something where the, where the baby, where like maybe the contractions like push the baby down, but then when the contraction's over, the cord kind of like bounces it back up. Does that make sense? Yeah. But, but when we say someone's 10 centimeters, it's not because I'm like, I feel your cervix and it's 10 centimeters wide. It's because the cervix is gone. Like I no longer feel it. And that's how I know somebody's fully dilated. Mm -hmm. So they're not really 10 centimeters. Does that make sense? Someone could be nine centimeters because you could still feel cervix, but 10 centimeters doesn't necessarily mean like I feel a 10 centimeter cervix. It means I feel no cervix. That means you're fully dilated. Your cervix is gone. So I'm wondering if in your scenarios, if they just missed the cervix thought it was gone. Maybe there was a big old caput in the baby's head. And so they must mistook, you know, like the shape of the baby's head. I don't know, but it makes, me, it makes me wonder a lot of things like, did they push for a couple hours and then get scared? Right. Were they pushing uh-huh. hard and not making any progress because they didn't feel comfortable with what we were doing? Maybe the provider, maybe the position they were in, maybe the hospital setting in general, but they just didn't realize it, you know, yeah. maybe, I guess there are just a ton of things that, that could have happened. Yeah. So that said, I don't know how I feel about, about believing in cervixes getting swollen by being pushed on. I think that they get swollen for other reasons. I think that a lot of times it's from a malposition of a baby's head, but cervixes usually when they get to eight, nine centimeters are very soft and squishy. I have had that happen with my clients though, too, where, you know, I was like, wow, you're nine centimeters and your cervix is like almost gone. And then they, they like sit there for a minute on a birth stool and the cervix goes to eight centimeters. So I have had that where, but I've never had it where someone's been completely fully dilated. There's no cervix at all. And the cervix has come back and is swollen. So what would cause that, that they were sitting on the stool and had regressed? Just gravity. Yeah. Really intense gravity, but fear too. I mean, in those cases, I think sometimes depending upon the position of the baby, that's like always like what position is this baby coming out? And if a mom hasn't been moving a lot in her labor, then sometimes babies do get stuck in weird positions. And even if she has been moving a lot in labor, you know, so I don't know, the cervix is like such an enigma, you know, it's like so so, so, so serious and like why it does the things that it does. But I do think that with it kind of what you were just alluding to is that, I mean, it wasn't an illusion. You like actually said it, but we, I think that we discount because we put birth into this like science field, you know, and we've like added all these numbers onto it. And we said like, this is how birth looks and it's zero to 10 centimeters. And then you're supposed to do that every hour. And we've like applied numbers, 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 numbers. And I think people forget about this whole like spiritual, mental, emotional component. I'm not sick when I'm having a baby. I'm like bringing a human into this world. Like whatever you believe in, 
I'm still opening up some portal somewhere to bring this human here. And one of the physical portals is the cervix. Mm. And so I do believe that our emotions and the fear play a role in what that portal does. You know, what that cervix does. That might sound really silly to some people for me to to talk about, like, yeah, for me to talk about the spiritual side of birth. But I think that we're forgetting that we're bringing humans. I mean, that's how humans like enter this realm is, you know, by coming through a woman's body. And, and so I wouldn't, be one bit surprised if, you know, that there was some fear or some Mm -hmm. like where your clients were just like, absolutely not, not Mm -hmm. doing this. Don't make me do this. And then that cervix, you know, kind of did come back. It's unlikely that if the cervix was really, truly all gone, that the baby moved upward, unless there was a very tight cord or something that kind of like was bouncing (laughs) sort of like with the contractions. Sometimes too, you can check somebody during a contraction and their cervix is like way more dilated than when you check them, not during a contraction, you know? So it could have been, it could have been that when they were pushing their cervix really was opening, but when they weren't, then, you know, their cervix came back. My kind of my gut instinct from what you're telling me is that the cervix wasn't all gone in the first place. and that they did have her pushing when her body wasn't quite ready. So that kind of leads us to like what you were asking about. Were you asking about just letting somebody just chill for a minute? I was just asking about like practice pushing and how do we avoid a swollen cervix. So I do want to mention that the fear that Melissa is talking about doesn't always have to be like fear of your provider or like fear of the hospital system. Sometimes it's within yourself. Sometimes it's fear that you can't do this. Sometimes it's fear of the pain that's to come. Sometimes it's the fear of the realness of like, oh shit, as soon as I push this baby out, I am like, it's parent. I like have yeah, to be a mom. Yeah. Like I am, uh, it's game time. We have heard so many people who had these mental leaps, these mental like hoops that they had to leap through during leave from our clients who said, you know, I spent so much time at nine centimeters. And now looking back after me and my partner have kind of debriefed the birth, we found that I was actually really scared to push. So caught up in the idea of the pain that was to come, even though it was nine centimeters. Yeah, right? totally. In the middle of it, you know, yep. just always have to be like fear of your provider. Mental and emotional fear can hold up things too. Absolutely. I mean, I would venture to say that the biggest obstruction we see in labor is mental. Mm. Like mm-hmm. 100%. I mean, yeah, I do get in weird positions, right? But like that doesn't happen as often as I see the mental yeah. obstructions, you know? Yeah. So that's why the, that thought work and that mindfulness and that meditation and the relaxation practices are so, 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 so important. And kind of that concept of the acceptance that I told you about. I've had people who have done amazing thought work and have done like all of the things that they're supposed to do, you know, with meditation and mindfulness. And they still have a difficult birth, you know, we can never predict. And so I hesitate to like, tell people like, if you just do the work, it's going to be great. It, the chances are much better if you do the work, but there, but it doesn't guarantee anything. And I think that the universe like brings us a lot of times the kind of labor and birth that we're supposed to have. Yeah, I definitely think that everyone's labor is a life lesson. There are things you have to learn. There are things that 
every human, even partners that go through it with you, there are things you have to learn. Some of it is relinquishing control. Some of it is learning how to go with the flow. Some of it is learning how to be in control. There are a lot of lessons to learn. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, ultimately, you know, we're getting humans here. And so no matter how it's done, like it's hard, you know, it's really, really hard. No matter how you do it, no matter if you do it without medication, no matter if you have a plan C section, no matter how you do it, it's really, really, really hard. Yeah. Uh, my mom had me by C-section and it was a very difficult birth mm-hmm. for her, you know, and she had people tell her that she wasn't going to love me as much mm-hmm. because I wasn't born vaginally. And my mom is like the most loving human on the planet. <laughs> and I just had a beautiful childhood. We still have an amazing relationship in it. And I know that people feel that way. Sometimes, you know, now I'm not going to bond enough with my baby or I didn't do it the right way, or I wish that it could have happened this way, but it it's just hard. You know, I was a midwife when I had my last baby and I got preeclampsia, I had a seizure, it turned into help. I got rushed to the hospital in an ambulance. It was a shit show. It was bad news, you know? And I was like, what? I did everything right. I'm a midwife. Like I know how to do this, you know? And I'm really, really grateful that, you know, I had a hospital to go to, you know, cause they were able to give me max sulfate and keep me from dying, but it was hard, you know, and it made me really, really, really sad. But I think like that acceptance, that's why I talk about that, like being the number one piece that you got to get into place because the more accepting you are of how things go, I mean, we can plan, we can prepare all we want, right. But things are still going to happen <laughs> in ways that we don't expect and like you were talking about, we think things are moving straight forward. And then you have this flipping swollen cervix, you know, and what are you going to do with that now? So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I'm the queen of saying you don't get to control how your birth unfolds, but you do get to control how you respond and react to yeah. everything that pops up in labor. And that's where your control comes from. A lot of people think that control is in, I want to choose when I get to the hospital. I want to choose an epidural. I want to choose my provider. It's not so much like that. It is more like, all right, your labor has presented us with this situation. Here are your options. What option feels most aligned with you? Where do you feel most powerful in our next step? Which next step makes you feel in control? And that's where your control comes in labor, you guys. I love that. Yes, I love that. I mean, that's an age old, it's an age old wisdom, right? Like, like the Victor Frankl, who was in the concentration camps and he wrote that book, man's search for meaning. Like that was what he came to, you Mm -hmm. know, was that it was his ad. That was all he had control that he had control, not even like what he, what he ate or whether he ate or how he was treated or whether he would live or die. The only thing he had control over was his mind. And like, and his attitude and how he decided to like be in the world in in that moment, you know? And I mean, we are all faced with very difficult things in our lives and birth is just one of those like very special times in which we can grow, you know, as women and use these opportunities to learn all these lessons and (laughs) yeah, just try to be better humans. Yeah. Yeah. Be better humans. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I have just one last topic that I want to talk about that we kind of mentioned throughout and that's laboring down. So I have seen laboring down be fantastic. So, so, so many times it is more common in medical births and in people who have epidurals and medical pain relief, right? We don't so much see it as often in unmedicated labors. 
recently, both in hospitals and on social media, which I have looked into, ACOG does say that laboring down doesn't make too much of a difference. But I have found that nurses and providers are starting to get super antsy and are less willing or eager to allow people to labor down in the hospitals. They really lay the heat on heavy, like, well, we got to get this baby out. We can't just wait around all day for your yeah. baby. Hospital, you know, hospital policy says that you really need to be pushing within two hours of being 10 centimeters. Okay, yes, but also laboring down is an age-old thing that has proved to work. So talk to us about laboring down. What should we be considering? What do we need to know? And maybe... How can we navigate that conversation if we are in a hospital and they're really kind of laying it on thick of like, you really need to start pushing, but you're not ready because you've listened to Melissa and he, he and you are not <laughs> feeling that urge to push. I love that. So I think, first of all, when you talk about laboring down, so out of hospital where we don't have the medication, if somebody, what I call laboring down, it's not really laboring down, but like if somebody's 10 centimeters yeah. and they don't feel an urge to push, then yeah. I pull it the rest and be thankful stage yeah. we talked about earlier. And, but if they're in, if you're in a hospital and you have an epidural, then you're not going to feel that urge to push usually until it gets pretty intense. Right. So at an out of hospital birth without medication, you would probably start feeling it and you'd start doing some little pushes. Right. So, so out of hospital, I would put people in the bed and let them sleep. You know, and I, and, you know, you said that ACOG said it doesn't make that much of a difference and it might not make that much of a difference for how far the baby moves down, but it makes a huge difference for the mom being able to rest. And how will you push? Yeah. If she can sleep for two hours, what's that going to do for her, for how much energy she can have to push a baby out, you know? So really, really important. And care providers do not know about the rest and be thankful stage. So that's something that people can talk about beforehand and can say, when I'm 10 centimeters, if I don't feel a very strong urge to push, I would really like to rest. And what you hope has happened is that when people have gotten an epidural that they've actually rested when they, cause I know some people get the epidural and they're like, oh my gosh, and they want to process the labor. Well, they're not feeling the pain. The <laughs> You're still having a baby, like go to sleep. I've had clients do that a lot. And I'll be like, I had a client where she was like turned away from me resting on her side. And I looked over, I'm like, are you on your phone? <laughs> Get off your phone and go to sleep. <laughs> In a very nice, gentle midwife. Totally. <laughs> In a very loving. She kind of laughed. She thought it was funny. She was like, I know, I know I need to sleep. But I think she was just so relieved that she wasn't in that long, long, long labor anymore. She was like, I need to process through this. Like, I cannot go to sleep right now. I got to do some processing, which is completely understandable, but really, really, really important that if people haven't slept, maybe they've been awake for two nights laboring and now they have the epidural. They're not going to push that baby out as well. And as effectively Mm -hmm. if they haven't slept than if they have. So my big, 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 huge thing. And I don't, and most providers won't say no to this. Well, let me back up for just a minute. And I'm going to tell you how you do it. (laughs) I'm going to tell you like, here's the way to do it. Those are businesses. I'm a business owner. I'm an entrepreneur. I counsel women. Like I do coaching for women in business. I'm a big, huge proponent of women should have money and they should know how to manage their money and they should know how to invest their money and blah, 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 blah. So I own five businesses. I get being a business owner. I have employees. I get it. I get the bottom line. I get it. So I get why hospitals do what they do, but people don't think of hospitals as businesses. They think of hospitals as a healing place that the government has given to us to help us, but that's not the case. 
businesses are private entity entities almost always and they're owned by a corporation almost always i have seven corporations registered to my name so i'm more anti like big business like affecting people than i am business owners you know but so they need to get people in the hospital bed and then they need to get people out of the hospital bed because if you have somebody who wants to come into your space and pay you thousands of dollars you got to make a space for them, right? And if you don't, you're not going to meet your bottom line. You're not going to meet payroll. You're not going to meet your bills that much, right? But it's a horrible, terrible business model for treating families who are having babies. Like it's the worst thing ever. It's the hugest part of hospital revenue. For many hospitals, it's 80% of their revenue. So when people come in and they're like, I just want to rest for two hours because I'm not feeling an overwhelming urge to push. I would like to have that rest. Of course, they're going to be like, no, we've got instructions <laughs> coming in, in like one hour, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's why, you know, that's why they don't want you to rest. That's why they want to get the baby out. Also, once you get to the hospital, it is the goal. Get the baby out. Once you're in the hospital, get the baby out. So number one thing to do is stay at home as long as possible. <laughs> the number two thing to do is I think if you just frame it in a way that like you need more rest, I think that's a hard thing to say no to. Yeah. I think if you say, is my baby doing okay? Yes. Am I doing okay? Yes. Do my vitals look good? Yes. I really, really need to rest. I'm really, really tired. And if they say, we don't really don't want you to rest. We want to get this baby out. You can say, sorry, I'm not. I mean, if it really comes to that, which hopefully it doesn't, but if it comes to that, I mean, you always have the final say. You can say, I'm going to sleep for two hours. Please come back in and we'll start pushing in two hours. You know, Unless I feel an overwhelming urge, I'll push my call button and call you back in. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's like probably your best way to ask for the laboring down or for the rest, the rest and be thankful stage is to just rest, you know? And here's the thing, y'all, like your uterus will actually move your baby down. So as you're napping, you are not having to exert all of this like strenuous hard labor because your uterus is still contracting. Your uterus is doing all that work. It is moving your baby down. We don't have time to talk about it now, but your pelvis has like different stations. So if you're out there listening and you're pregnant and you're like, oh my God, I don't even know what that means. Google the stations, find someone to teach you. You can find it on the birth launch app. You can find it in the birth launch membership. You can follow Melissa. She has information about this. This conversation has been so good. Melissa, if people wanted to hire you as your midwife, talk to you about women's health. I know you do work with PCOS and then other birth workers as well. Maybe there are people out there looking for mentorship for business. Where can people find you and connect with you about all of these things? Thank you so much for asking. I love that. Well, first I should say, if we have anybody out there who wants to be a doula, you should come to this actually. I'm doing a birth workers retreat in Costa Rica and I've got like three spots left. That's in November. That'll be super fun. I'm also on Instagram. So Melissa Chapel, if you search Instagram for Melissa Chapel, you'll find me on Instagram. I actually have a very full practice and I usually get full, like when people get their pregnancy test. So I take very few clients and that's just so that I can give them all the love and care that I want to, but that website is songbird maternity. That's all my midwife stuff. And then my birth centers are Utah birth suites. And that's also on Instagram and, and Utah birth suites. I do a lot of work with just women's health in general. 
And then I'm just, he, he, I've noticed that in the last years, as, as you know, you know, this, everybody's noticed this, that women are just increasingly lonely, right? They're just feeling more lonely and they just still like, don't have space to come together. So I'm launching a big women's community. And we're just going to talk about things that like, we're going to go deep and we're going to be kind and sweet and gentle with each other. And it's subscription-based and I'll do lives with people and we'll answer lots of health questions and do lots of fun stuff like recipes and on, and classes, course, just all kinds of stuff having to do with women's health and better sleep and better reproductive health and like, like fertility awareness, just like everything you could think of. And I have a component of that for just birth workers as well. So we talk about the business side of things and just like how you can best take care of your clients and so I'm super, super excited. So that'll be launching soon. And all that information will be like in, on. So my email list is probably the best way to get information for me. So people could just sign up on my email at melissachapel.com. so many things going on I love being in the energy of other wave makers of people who see how different birth can be how different women's health can be how different reproduction could be supported if we did things just like even slightly different I feel like there are so many tiny tweaks that we could make but our country for some reason just doesn't do it yeah All right, you guys, this was such a fun conversation. If you have questions for Melissa and I, if you want to learn more about pushing, don't forget, we have the secret sauce to pushing course. It's $99 and it'll teach you everything that you need to know to effectively and efficiently push out your baby. If you want to get a hold of Melissa, you know how to do that. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can check it out on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, or our email. Lots of places to connect. All right, you guys, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident. Hey there, just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hehe and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.